0: Hi everybody, Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Locked On Blue Devils with
1: J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. My name is J.J. Jackson. It's great to have you here with us today on Friday, December 23rd, 2022, counting down the days left in the calendar year 2022. And we've got a fun show planned for you today here on Lockdown Blue Devils as our good pal Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated will stop by to talk about the state of the Duke basketball program and look ahead to that football ball game coming up for Mike Elko and company. Uh, if you haven't done so already, please be sure to follow and subscribe. Locked On Blue Devils for free, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check us out on YouTube each and every day for a way to watch the show daily. Your support on YouTube means the world to us as well. You can follow the program on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils, and I'm on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. Without further ado, we now bring on my good pal Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated. And, And Connor, you also or a site publisher for Deacons Illustrated. And so this is actually uh, the perfect time to chat with you after the game we saw earlier this week between Duke and Wake Forest. It's always got to be fun for you in the job when the two schools play one another.
0: It's interesting. You know, I I take some flack from people that think I'm biased one way or the other. So (laughs) I kind of take that personally because that means I haven't been doing my job very well. If they think that I'm a Wake fan or a Duke fan. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's not two birds out with one stone. Um, yes it is. But sometimes I, you know, like we're waiting there for the, for the press conferences to start. And I'm staring at two basically blank word documents. And I'm like, I got to write two stories. One about a team that won and one about a team that lost. And they're going to be two completely different perspectives. And, uh, it's, it gets a little daunting sometimes, but, uh, those nights are are easier than the ones where they're both playing at the same time, and I have to pick one or the other of, of what I'm going to actually pay attention to and what I'm going to be trying to keep an eye on during the media yeah. timeouts and stuff.
1: I reckon you're, there's a point to that. Yeah, it's just one game that you've got to focus on. It's just the different perspective that kind of goes into it. So uh, earlier this week, we know Duke loses by a score of 81-70. to 70. Uh, Against Wake Forest, it was Duke's first ACC loss of the season. What were you expecting from the, the Duke perspective going into that game?
0: Man, I honestly I, – I've got some egg on my face because I thought it was a great matchup for Duke. Uh, I thought it was a wake team that was kind of hobbled. They got run off the court on Saturday at Rutgers. Uh, I thought Duke coming off a, a nine-day gap between games was going to come out kind of refreshed. Uh, we talked to some of the players in the week Leading up to that break, uh, I know Kyle Filipowski was one specifically who mentioned that Duke really wanted to hone in on the offensive end and cut down on turnovers. Um, I think they still won the turnover battle against Wake, but it felt like Duke's turnovers were a lot more costly than Wake's were. Uh, maybe that has something to do with the three for 15 they put up in the first half on threes. Those Some of those felt like turnovers. Um, but I, I just... I expected a completely different Duke team to be out there. And I think you can chalk that up a little bit to missing Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively, but the way Duke played and, you know, those guys factor into the equation uh, that we see for Duke down the line this season, but they haven't been the biggest pieces of the puzzle in the first 12 games. So I don't know how much you can really say, well, they were missing these two guys. That's why they lost. They lost because the team that was out there played just lethargic and low energy. Just every every you know lackluster. Uh, the yeah. L words out there to to talk about taking an L. Um, everything was lacking. There's another L word. Yeah. Um, it, it was just it was it was not what I expected at all. Um, I think more of a factor than Derek and derek missing the game because they were sick was. I think Duke had some guys that played in the game that had been sick. Uh, I think there were guys that toughed it out and, and could be out there, but not at a hundred percent. And I think, I think we'll start to see that. I, I think the real evidence of that will be in the game on new year's Eve against Florida state. Granted, you know, that's kind of assuming that this next break is for them to get fully healthy. But I think, I think that game will show us, okay, they were not at 100%. Even, even moving past, missing the two guys they were missing, they were not anywhere close to, to what they were capable of being.
1: It's a beautiful way to put it, Connor, because you know, you mentioned kind of going into this game, a big story is that, hey, right before the game's set to go, a few hours before Duke announces that they are going to be without Dariq Whitehead and Derek Lively, and being a factor, being a part of the equation for the end goal within the season, they've got the much greater role than they have had through those first two games before. I haven't been, I haven't found a way to kind of break that down or say that the way I want to, and you just did that for us. I think that is so totally fair that in the grand scheme of things, it really isn't that big of a deal uh, for this one Wake Forest game in particular.
0: Yeah, I mean they they beat Ohio State with uh, I can't remember specific lines, but it didn't feel like either one of them really played that big of a factor in beating right. Ohio State. Uh, they beat a Xavier team out in Portland without either one really playing that huge of a role. Um, you you need you need Derek uh, for his interior defense, right? You, He's going to catch some lobs. He's going to dunk the ball. Uh, I think 18 of his 21 field goals this year are dunks. And I would, I would estimate a high percentage of the 18 are, you know, Jeremy or Tyrese or somebody like that floating it uh, 13 feet into the air and him just landing with the ball through the hoop. Um, But you need him out there defensively. And I think that's where you really saw like wake through a few lobs to, to their seven footer under the basket, Matthew Marsh. And, Ryan Young has given Duke so much this year, but Ryan Young is completely uh, down to earth when he tells you that he is a under the basket below the rim player. He has physical limitations. Down to earth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We we, we were, we were talking about, talking to him about that a few weeks ago. Uh, I think it was, it was before the Iowa game maybe. Uh, And he was, he had no uh, restrictions on telling us about these things that, you know, he knows that he has physical limitations and, and he has to do some things to make up for those. But sometimes, you know, you, you can throw the ball over his head and get a dunk. You can't do that against Derek Lively. And then when guards drive to the free throw line and and are able to kind of, he used the word uh, after after Tuesday night's game, he used the word maneuver when, when guards and, and other teams' wings can get to Duke's free throw line and maneuver in there uh it's a little different when when it's him in there opposed to Derek uh and and Derek's shot blocking it's not you know you hear every coach say it but you hear every coach say it because it's true it's not just the shot blocking it's the altering of shots it's you know guys that have to all of a sudden put a little extra on shots and they wind up going long and that kind of thing because they see this seven one gangly figure in front of them that has such a knack for for timing up jumps and being able to block the shots.
1: Changes everything. Changes the defensive equation, and we saw that certainly for Duke against a Wake Forest team that's got a lot of size uh, to combat what Duke has athletically and that sort of thing. Let's keep talking about this and uh, Duke's upcoming game against Florida State, as you mentioned, after we take our first time out here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils. Lockdown Blue Devils is brought to you and paid for today by NHTSA. Did you know that driving under the influence of marijuana is illegal? That's right. Driving high could get you a DUI. And if you're wondering if law enforcement can tell when you're driving high, well, everyone else in your life can. Your friends can tell. Your coworkers can tell. Even your parents can tell. So what makes you think law enforcement can't tell? Well, they can. If you feel different, you drive different drive high, get a DUI, paid for by the National Traffic Safety Administration. Moving forward here on today's episode of Lockdown Blue Devils, I'm JJ Jackson alongside my buddy Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated. We're talking about the Duke men's basketball game against Wake Forest from earlier in the week. Uh, A bright spot for Duke in this one uh, was the performance of Jalen Blakes. I don't know that anyone had it on the Duke basketball bingo card that he would be the leading scorer, uh, for the blue devils and setting the career high on that. Like he did.
0: <laughs> Man. Uh, if, if they can get that kind of game from Jalen Blakes, I think they take it, uh, 10 times out of 10 Sure. he, he really looked like at times he was playing at a different level than everybody else. And that kind of goes along with me saying that I think some guys were under the weather still. Um, yeah, uh, John, I asked John about it uh, after the first game of the year, I think it was, or maybe even the exhibition. Um, he he basically told me it was a bonus. Anytime Jalen makes threes, anytime Jalen makes shots, Jalen is out there for his defense. He is out there to usually take the other team's point guard or, or primary ball handler, however you want to term it, and get them out of rhythm, uh, use his He's got great length for a guard. He's, I think, 6'2 or 6'3, but it seems like his wingspan is 6'6 or 6'7. He's really got some great length, and he's thick in the upper body, so he's strong enough to, to kind of push some guys off the ball. Uh, he gives Duke a lot, and and he's going to play for for as long as uh, he's able to give them the kind of defensive boost. But then when he goes out there and makes three threes and uh, is is kind of... The, your spark plug offensively um uh, man that's that's such a boost uh and and you'll see it you'll see it more uh, especially if if the other guys have lackluster performances that carry over into the next few games
1: yeah i think that's the big thing it's just trying to find uh these guys the depth that you continue to build throughout the season and when you do play a deeper bench which mike schevski wasn't always known for at duke It's got to be such a difficult challenge of putting all these pieces together night in, night out, because sometimes you're great, sometimes you're not. I think at any given night going into the season, you'd much rather have Jeremy Roach in the basketball game doing certain things than Jalen Blakes. But in a game like Wake Forest, let's be honest, the captain for the Duke Blue Devils, Jeremy Roach was nowhere near himself. Uh, Kyle Filipowski, another Duke player, uh, that just wasn't the player that we've seen him so far this season. So uh, you could put all of that together. You mentioned the layoff. You mentioned some guys could have possibly been sick and leading into this, and now you're without Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively second. You just put it all together, and it's not the best formula for a team that's trying to go out and win a basketball game, a conference game. And, by the way, something we have yet to mention yet, Connor, the first true <laughs> road game of the season for Duke. This young group with so many newcomers – hadn't played in someone's arena yet before.
0: Yeah, my, I think one of my main takeaways from this game was this game showed why Duke is going to go to Arizona and play out in Tucson next year. Um, I think John Shire would never admit it publicly, but I think he knows that it's kind of a hypothesis of mine. Maybe I'm using a little uh, confirmation bias here, but I felt like it penalizes Duke for not playing a, a road game in the non-conference in the first month or month and a half of the season. And I think that showed last year at Ohio State when they lost. I think that showed this year when they lost at Wake Forest. Uh, when you have not only a young team, but a team with with some transfers that have also haven't played together, communication gets so much tougher when you're in that first road game. Uh, yeah. The neutral – The neutral site games like those are challenging in and of themselves, but it's not like it's hard to communicate uh, when it's a neutral court game. And when you're playing a neutral court game in in Portland in front of a few thousand fans, when you're playing a neutral court in the garden where it's going to be mostly Duke fans or or mostly Duke fans for your game and then the other games fans are in there, too. Yeah, it's just a different animal when you're actually in a road environment and it's hostile environment, and there's there's actually crowd noise against you. And so, like I I think it's penalized Duke that they don't play road games. I think they're trying to change that. I think John knows that and is trying and is making a concerted effort. I mean, we had the the Arizona series, the home and home come out. Uh, news came out about that months ago, uh, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. So. Yeah it's it's something that's always kind of amused me like visiting fans always harp on oh well duke has this great advantage because they don't play home they don't play true road games they don't they don't go on the road and play anybody and I'm like if you guys are fans of visiting teams you don't like duke why are you mad that duke doesn't play road games because it's it's a disadvantage when duke actually comes and plays at your place like it's you know <laughs> you know what I'm saying like yeah. it, 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 it just uh, – I think it puts Duke behind the eight ball a little bit when they get into the first road game or two. And, and I think that's what you saw play out in part uh, at Wake.
1: And, and now they're going to get a chance to go back on the road uh, right into the new year, a trip to Raleigh uh, to take on NC State. But, of course, before they do that, as you mentioned on New Year's Eve, a home game against a Florida State team uh, that has been incredibly underwhelming so far this season another long layoff however from Duke they play on December 20th earlier in the week they do not play again until December 31st Uh, how big can that have a factor into this uh, with the uh, layoff looming and then uh, let's talk a little bit about that matchup Connor
0: yeah they've got a I I don't know you know if anything necessarily drastic has to change in the way they approached the past layover to the way they approached this one Obviously this one's a little different. You've got a, a massive holiday in there, uh, right smack dab in the middle of it. Um, so it'll be a little bit of a different approach in that regard. But yeah, I think, I think you just keep working. Um, John mentioned that they were balance. They were also balancing finals in the last layoff. They won't have that to, to deal with. It's just basketball at this point. Uh, no classes to worry about, no, no papers, no, none of that kind of stuff that that goes along with being a student athlete. Um, the Florida State matchup. I mean, I'm such a big fan of Leonard Hamilton, and yeah. I was I was ready to say, "Here they come!" Last year, and then they had all those injuries that completely removed them from the equation in the ACC. Uh, right after they right after they beat Duke. Um, Man, this year I, I don't know what to think of that team. Uh and I and I watched them a couple nights ago when they beat Notre Dame uh for a little bit of that. And and that was a great game for them. Uh I I need to I, I'm I'm a little behind on my research here. I've I've been getting ready for football games, but uh, I need to look up whether Baba Miller is gonna be able to play because I know he was suspended for the first was it sixteen, 16 games? games,
1: yes. So yeah, I guess absolutely.
0: they played 14. So he's gonna gonna be out for this yep. one also. Um. Well, that's a good thing for Duke. I mean, yeah. I saw people calling him like the next, the next Florida State NBA prospect sure. who's gonna do big things. I love Caleb Mills and Matthew Cleveland. Uh, their backcourt is great. I don't know why they've been losing because I thought they were so good. Right. Um. It's a they always have length. Like you can always count on a Florida state team to have length. So Duke will be neutralized in that a little bit. Cause Duke usually is, is going to have more length than most teams they play in the ACC. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be to me. I uh, wake and Duke both play on that day and I got a stringer to cover the wake game before Tuesday night's game. And I was kind of bummed about that. Cause I was thinking, all right, Duke is going to come out and handle Wake and then they're going to handle this really bad Florida State team and that's going to be more of a nothing game. Wake plays Virginia Tech that day and that's a pretty big game for Wake and Virginia Tech. Um it's it's funny now that Duke lost that game on Tuesday night, it's kind of like there's some there's some juice to their game against Florida State. Like there's some interest there. There's you know, now you've got to see, all right, uh how do they come off of this break? Uh, after coming off the last one and and kind of laying a dud at Wake Forest.
1: Big question indeed, and we'll certainly see what that how that happens uh, when Duke gets back into action on the hardwood, like we said here in uh, just a little bit on December 31st against Florida State. Let's take one final timeout on the program today, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Duke football team ahead of their big bowl game coming up here as well. Locked on Blue Devils here today, and we do want to make sure you're aware of Locked on Sports today. Again, thank you so much for making our program your first listen and first watch every single day. But make sure that you check out Locked On Sports today. It's the biggest stories around the sports world in 20 minutes or less, plus instant reactions, game recaps, and Locked On's take of the day. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Network. Locked On Sports today, available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Winding down today's episode of Lockdown Blue Devils, JJ Jackson, alongside my buddy Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated. Uh, before we get into the game, tell me a little bit about the website and what kind of content folks can find from you, Connor.
0: Yeah, so duke.rivals.com is where I'm at for Duke coverage. Yep. Uh, got a massive story because signing day was this week, uh, and and Duke brought in a massive class, uh, 26 players for Mike Elko's first full class. Like I, I remember last year uh, he'd been on the job for maybe less than a week and, and was up there talking about a, a class of about 20 guys that were coming in that had all been held together by the previous staff. So he talked earlier this week about how strong he felt connected to this class because they're the ones that – committed to him as a head coach and and stuck with him as a head coach. This class was locked up by the first week in August and most of them committed in June and July. And then they held with Duke through the season. Uh, It helps when your season has a five win turnaround and you go eight and four and you show that you can play with everybody on your schedule. But um, that, that's the story that's up there now. Um, It's a, it's a big one and it's a good one. And got plenty of other stuff, you know, talking about, Roster management in college football these days, uh, previewing and and covering Duke's games for basketball purposes. Uh, there's it's a busy time of year. It always is.
1: Check it all out: duke.rivals.com. And, and then, in addition to Signing Day coming up on uh, on Wednesday, here we will have Duke in the Military Bowl taking on uh, UCF. What what intrigues you about this matchup, Connor? What are you expecting from this football game?
0: I think it should be. One of the more interesting bowl games, I think there should be a, a fair amount of points. Um, I think Duke's defense will be healthier. Uh they'll be a little stronger depth wise on that side of the ball. Uh they do have they do have one big question mark in the middle. Uh Shaka Hayward, I've I've put on my message board, is is kind of day to day. He had a surgery after the regular season ended and they're just not sure if he's going to be able to get back in time for the bowl game. So without Shaka in the middle, I mean, that's a, that's an, I can't remember if he was third team, all ACC or honorable mention, but he's an all ACC performer this year. Uh, they'd, they'd really be in a bind without him. Uh, he's, he's played so many good football games for Duke and it was really rewarding to see him get recognized this year. Cause he's been a good linebacker in the past on some pretty bad defenses. Um and then offensively for Duke, I, I think I think you're going to see an efficient offense. I think this yeah. is a this is a team that they might get Jacob Monk back. He missed the last few games on the offensive line. They might get Eli Pankle back. He got hurt. I think it, at Miami and missed the last month of the season. Those guys will help uh, an offense that was already clicking at a pretty high rate by the end of the season. Uh, I think 34 points in that game against Wake Forest to to. Close out the year at eight and four. Um, and then it's Mike Elko talked about how the bowl is not as much of a springboard into the next season as sometimes people make it out to be. Uh, this is just its own entity. It's the last time that Duke's 2022 team is going to be together, right? They're gonna, they're gonna all go home from the bowl game and, uh, when they come back, it'll be the 2023 football season. They'll be getting ready for preseason workouts and pre-spring stuff and then spring ball. So it's one last, you know, hurrah, if you will, for this team to go out on the right note. And one one last time for this team to play with some of the guys that will be moving on um, and We'll know more about who those guys are after after this game. Uh, we know a few already. Uh, some of the offensive linemen like Chase Lytle and Andre Harris, who just came in for one year and made such large impacts, no uh, really played a role in how good Duke's offensive line played. So, yeah, it's it's a – bowls are fun. Um, you can't put too much stock into them. They're just kind of these exhibition games after teams have off for three or four weeks. But But it should be a good game.
1: Yeah, you take a look at these bowl games, and, and what's so interesting is you know the transfer portal is going crazy for so many of these teams right now. Same for the coaching carousel off and running as well, and, and for Duke football, it appears as though a lot of things are staying relatively the same against a UCF team whose offensive coordinator in Chip Lindsey is going to go be the next offensive coordinator at UNC, and then Earlier in the week, we learned that their defensive coordinator at UCF, Travis Williams, is heading to take on the uh, Arkansas defensive coordinator job. So Gus Malzahn there in Orlando is going to be without his two coordinators that he had throughout the same uh, throughout the season. Um, and his quarterback, John Rice Plumley, clearly was not that healthy towards the end of the year and kind of gutted it out the whole way through the remainder of the season. So it's so strange because it is the same season, but it's been so long since these teams – have been on the field playing together that even some of the coaches aren't there. And certainly some players have left the program as well to go ahead and enter the transfer portal.
0: Yeah. And and the important thing to note on UCF's coordinators, um, not to take anything away from Chip Lindsey, uh, Duke will certainly see him in in 2023 and perhaps moving forward, but Gus Malzahn is their play caller. It's not a traditional sense of the offensive coordinator being the play caller where, you know, Gus Malzahn is an offensive genius. He calls their plays. Um, it feels like it's a bigger deal that UCF is also without their defensive coordinator. Um, yeah. I know you just mentioned his name. I've forgotten it already. Travis Williams. Travis Williams. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, it's a big deal that uh, UCF's top receiver, I think, is Ryan O'Keefe. He's in the transfer portal. Their number two tackler. Um. Gosh, all all the names escape me these days. It's all good. Um, I could probably tell you more about Mizzou's football team. At this <laughs> point their bowl game is before sure. is uh, is before Duke's.
1: And I will admit, Connor, it does help. Once again, as uh, my listeners well know, as you know, I'm an Auburn alum, so so many <laughs> of the UCF connections with Gus Malzahn uh, are easier for me to come up with. And Ryan O'Keefe is heading to Boston College in the transfer. Oh wow! Game, so he's going to stay. I He's going to stay in the ACC or move to the ACC, I guess, and uh, be a part of the league there in the future. So, uh, But, yeah, I think the big picture here, big point is is that there are so many moving pieces when you've got bowl games that are taking a while to get there. And then, oh, yeah, let's remember the fact that we've got uh, a national championship, a national champion left to be crowned still for the 2022 football season. always been a little strange that you got to wait so long for the action to get going
0: (laughs) it is and and just to the the moving parts aspect of things it almost doesn't really apply to Duke at this point Duke is has three has had three players either enter or declare that they're entering the transfer portal and that's Daryl Harding Jr. Tony Davis and Rocky Shelton the second and with those three guys played football for Duke they're not just you know, walk-ons who are only going to on a handful of special teams plays. They played meaningful snaps at Duke, but they're also, they're two deep guys. They're not starters. Um, Duke is, is going to have a pretty full assortment. It's been a pretty tame off season. Uh, that's, that kind of is what happens when guys enjoy playing together. Uh, you see guys like Jamie on Franklin and Dwayne Carter, the interior duo on the defensive line, both announced that they're coming back to use yep. their final seasons of eligibility Um, they've, what I've thought is the biggest thing is they've kept the coaching staff together to this point and the coaching carousel is, is kind of winding down. And so keeping that all together is, is a big thing so far. The, the one caveat there is, uh, I was talking to somebody about this earlier in the week was, yeah, it's dying down now, but then who's to say in about three weeks when it's the NFL's black Monday. That somebody's going to fire their coach and hire Jim Harbaugh, right. and Michigan's going to need to hire a staff. Then whoever leaves to go to Michigan, to go to Michigan is Michigan hires yeah. staff. It's just <laughs> it's going to spin up again. But to this point, Duke has done a great job in in being able to keep the staff together, and I think that that's the one where I kind of had my eye on. Like, does does anybody try to come in and maybe take uh, Arish, Ar- Ishmael Aristide, the cornerbacks coach? Uh, Jess Simpson the defensive line coach has an outstanding pedigree. Uh, Kevin Johns the offensive coordinator I mean people it's no secret it's not a you know that there's not people in college football are pretty smart they can see that this Duke team went from three and nine to eight and four Riley Leonard went from. Gunner Holmberg's backup to possible all ACC quarterback. Got to score points to
1: win the game, and the offense did that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. so keeping that staff together has been critical and will be critical moving forward in what should be a little bit more of the carousel spins.
1: Yeah, Wednesday, December 28th, the Military Bowl there from Annapolis, Maryland, Duke, and UCF. Uh, Connor, as always, I appreciate you taking some time to join me here on the podcast Want to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Uh, And thanks again for being on the podcast today. Really do appreciate it.
0: Thanks, JJ. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thanks for the well wishes. And I wish you the same. Uh, Thank you so
1: much. Merry Christmas. That's our pal, Connor O'Neill from Devils Illustrated. Again, duke.rivals.com. Go get a subscription, support the work that's being done there from Connor O'Neill. Excellent coverage of Duke University Athletics. That's going to do it for today's episode of Lockdown Blue Devils. Thank you for your support, as always, here on the program. And Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. That'll do it for today's program. We'll talk to you soon. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you, and good day.